Hey everyone, this is Lash Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys, and on this week's podcast, Ben Gulker and I talk about your one and two Detroit Pistons. Ben and I go over the bench's struggles offensively, what we've loved about Jaden Ivey and Jalen Duran, and what Sadiq Bey's role on this team is with Boyan Bogdanovich alongside him. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, subscribe, and leave comments. Please leave comments on the discussion post on Detroit Bad Boys. That's the best way for us to have the conversation that we want to have around the podcast. In order to do that, though, you have to follow DetroitBadBoys.com, which you should be doing, because it's the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis this season. With all that said, it's time to go to work. Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to this week's episode of the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. I am your host, Lazarus Jackson. Pleased, as always, to be joined by my usual co-host, Ben Gulker. Ben, we have actual games to talk about. How's it going? Hey, Les. Yeah, we got some games, and we're we're kind of where we thought we'd be, which is... Uh, not great. <laughs> not great. Some fun, some bad. But, uh, but yeah, we got some games to talk about, so that's good. Yeah, yeah. I figured... I wanted to go super duper simple for the first three games just because the sample size is so small, but we are seeing some trends that are good and some things that are less good. Um, Pistons are obviously one and two, a rough loss to the Indiana Pacers last night. Um, But something that I enjoyed seeing that I think has that continued in the Pacers game was the ball movement. The Pistons have, I think they showed last night, they have like a 70% uh, assist rate on the team like most 70 percent of the team's baskets have been assisted like that was top five in the league that continued last night um there's no one dominant uh assist like giver like it's not just Cade it's not just Jaden Ivey Jaden Ivey has been much better as a distributor than I expected and Cade is averaging seven assists a game but like they had like 30 assists against the Magic they had like 26 assists against the Pacers. The, the the ball moves really well, and that's something that I was afraid we would not see as much with a young team. Um, the other thing is uh, uh, we're seeing a lot more uh, – like this is a coaching thing I've noticed. There's a lot more cuts, right? Like this is a function of having like Jaden Ivey, you know, relentless off-ball athletic guy on the roster. But when you see guys like Isaiah Livers and like Killian Hayes like scoring off cuts in the Pacers game, you know, like you know that that's something that they're coaching. That's something that they're uh, that they've been emphasizing from an offensive standpoint as a way to get uh, easier shots. Um, ben, what have you been thinking about the? What have you noticed about the ball movement as we've seen uh, the Pistons play in these first three games? Yeah, well, first of all, uh, I would give some credit to Jaden Ivy. Jaden's been a lot of fun to watch. I, I'm I'm ready to start. Uh, cooking up some crow, I will say. I've, <laughs> I've had a lot more fun watching um, Jaden Ivey than I anticipated. He's just a joy to watch with the basketball, especially in transition. He does plenty of rookie guard stuff, mm-hmm. himself into to plenty of trouble. So not to say he's been flawless, but with respect to the offense in the half court, he, I mean, he, he breaks down the defense a lot off the dribble. I know that sounds cliche, but he does a lot of that. And I think at the team level, um, they've done a, a good job of making the second and third pass, swinging the ball around the perimeter, which has been impressive. 
And then I think they, they have guys who are particularly high IQ. Like you mentioned, Livers. I think Bogdanovich is really good at this. Killian is obviously a guy who's good at this. And then they've got, um, you know, in the second unit, a guy like Duran, who's just, you know, where his basketball IQ at is at right now is hard to tell, but he can finish just about anything, right? Like, I mean, throw the ball up in the air and he's going to potentially finish stuff or he's going to get a put-back dunk on something. So I think you've just got the right mix of a couple guys, Cade, Ivy, uh, Killian, who are good at getting into the paint. You've got that in the first and second unit. You've got guys who are really smart, uh, Bogdanovich, Livers, Sadiq, uh, and then, of course, Cade and Ivy in terms of basketball IQ. And uh, that gives you the right mix of stuff that I don't think the Pistons have had before. And as I think you're right to point out that it's resulting in a ball movement, particularly the second and third pass, if, it, if it's dribble penetration and a kick out. And uh, lots of stuff happening off the ball in terms of cuts and back doors. And, um, you know, it'll be interesting if Bagley gets back as well, how that plays in, because I think he'll get obviously another lob threat as well. So, so yeah, I agree. Um, that's a surprising, but definitely pleasant result out of the first three no absolutely uh ivy is averaging six assists a game which is like like we talked about a lot more playmaking than i think we were expecting uh when he was initially drafted um and the thing that's sticking out to me is that he's not making like the most difficult reads he's ever like made in his life but he is doing a really good job of just like getting it to the open man right like leveraging his athleticism to collapse the defense and like kicking it out from there. Um, you talked about the rookie guard stuff. He does do a little bit of that too, where he'll drive, he'll hit the baseline, and he'll be like, "Okay, like I'm under the basket. Like I, I don't know what's going on now. Where am I gonna go? Yeah. Um, but you know, if he does that, if he does that three times, like one time he'll score, one time he'll get a nice kick out, and one time he turns the ball over. Like two out of three times, like you you take it. Um, and eventually he will learn to even lessen that. And so you you like to see that uh, initially as a point of development. Um, six assists, but 3.7 turnovers a game yeah. for, for Jaden Ivey. That's, That's not good. Yeah, the turnover yeah. rate's way too high. The other thing is um, I think getting out in transition is helping with assist rate too. Um, mm-hmm. Shockingly, the Pistons are in the top, almost top third of the league, 11th. NBA.com has them 11th overall in pace, which is surprising. I've kind of joked about Jaden Ivey forcing, you know, like pulling Casey into the modern NBA age single-handedly. But, you know, I think certainly he's one of the reasons the Pistons are high in pace, and I think transition opportunities often lead to assisted bucket, right? So that mm-hmm. that helps too, I think. No, absolutely. Um, the next thing that's like really stood out to me is how how much better the offense moves with Boyan Bogdanovich. That was a very nice acquisition by yeah. Troy Weaver. Um, he made he's made a ton of shots. Uh, he's four ten from three against Indiana, six of ten for three against Orlando. Like no, he's not going to make six threes every single night. But that level of shooter and having that level of like off ball threat um, and leveraging him like off curls and stuff is something that the Pistons like have not had in such a long time. Um, I haven't felt like this confident in a guy shooting since like when like Reggie Bullock and Blake Griffin were doing like DHO magic for like that six week stretch a couple of years back. Um, he, he makes, he also, he's driven the basket really well. Um, he gets kind of caught sometimes in between with the lack of athleticism. We saw this in the Pacers game. Pacers blocked everybody at the rim, oh Boyan included. 
but uh, but he gets out in transition. He had a couple of nice coast to coast finishes against the Knicks. You could see like the smoke coming out of Thibodeau's ears when like Boyan Bogdanovich <laughs> goes coast to coast on his defense. But uh, but yeah, I've been I've been really I've been really impressed with Boyan. That's everything I wanted uh, in a signing. Um, the only thing that scares me a little bit is that he's not playing enough. Uh, they're they're tinkering with the lineups. We'll get to the bench in a little bit, guys. Trust me. Um, but it seems like he should be playing a lot more than he is. Uh, what have you What have you taken away from Boyan's performance so far, Ben? Well, I agree with every, everything you said. I think one of the things is when you're that good of a shooter, it just goes to show like when you command that level of respect, like a simple pump fake can just do wonders for your ability to get to the rim. Like I can recall one, I, I was just watching the fourth quarter of the Indiana game before we're recording last. And there's one possession at the end, in the end of the fourth quarter where three guys run at bogey and he pump fakes and all three guys fall for the fake. And it's like, when you're that good of a shooter, just moving your hands two inches, you can just do wonders. So, um, you know, like Sadiq, if you could just find that 38% three-point shooting consistently for 40 games, like that's just going to open up everything else for your offense. Like, because when you're that good, it just it just does wonders for you. And so I agree. I, I think I underestimated how good he was going to be shooting the basketball. And I knew he was crafty, but my goodness, he really is crafty. That's just the best way to explain it. His minutes, I think, I mean, he's old, right? I mean, he's, he's old. Yeah, so maybe they're point. just trying to manage for the, for the long haul and keep him healthy. That'd be, that'd be my comment there. Yeah. I like you mentioned Sadiq. And the thing I really like about Boyan is how he's made what Sadiq has to offer this team from the starting lineup a lot simpler, right? Like with Boyan out there as the floor spacing guy who can also drive to the basket, Sadiq can focus a little bit more on his interior game, which is something that I think he's done a good job of so far. Sadiq's only shooting 33% from three. And again, like the whole theory of Sadiq is that uh, he can do a lot of the stuff Boyan does, but he needs to be a better shooter to actually leverage a lot of this. But Sadiq has really improved as he's simplified on like what he does as a driver, right? It's a lot of like, I am going to go to the rim. I'm going to get fouled. Um, I'm, I'm seeking out contact so that I, so that I can get fouled because getting free throws is easier for me than like elevating and finishing over like bigs. He's shooting five, he's shooting almost five and a half free throws a game, which is like double or not double. He shot three free throws a game last season, but like it's, that's a big increase in uh in free throw attempts for Sadiq per game um but again like he's shooting 33% from 3 he had he had like uh, I think he went 2 for 8 against the against the Pacers and he only shot he only shot like 8 times against the Magic um and so it 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 still kind of ebbs and flows with Sadiq um but Boyan being out there as a consistent floor spacer as a consistent uh off ball movement like threat is like okay now we don't need as much of that from Sadiq and it opens up the the areas of his game that I like. Um, the other thing I'll say is that like the the defense has not been great and I think Boyan and Sadiq are uh, guilty of that as anyone. But um, I did like the way Sadiq competed against Banchero uh, in that Orlando game. Like yes, Banchero had like twenty six seven and seven, like he he got his, but I felt like Sadiq was making him work for it. Um, so Ben, what, 
are we what are we to do with Sadiq? Are we to just like enjoy the fact that like he's shooting like two more free throws a game and he's a, he hasn't missed a free throw yet? Or are we just going to bemoan the 33% from three and just continue to hope that like he eventually just shoots the ball better? Like what, what do we do with Sadiq? Yeah. I mean, I can't write off his rookie season, right. As, as three yeah. point shooter, when you, when you put together that body of work for an entire season, like there has to be a there, there for a shooter. Um, so I'm inclined to just be a little more patient and hope that that shooting comes back around. Um, you know, I think he's still kind of finding his way a little bit in terms of where to position himself for three-point attempts. Um, you know, Bogdanovich, he he shoots the ball with so much confidence, and he he never flinches or hesitates when he catches the ball. Like, when he catches the ball, he just he's looking to shoot instantly. Sadiq, to me, d- does not look to have that level of confidence in his three-point shot right now. Um, I, I am a big believer in being confident in shooting the basketball. I think that matters. And I don't know that Sadiq has that right now. I'd like to see him, uh, you know, he shot, like you mentioned, he did shoot the ball eight times. So it's not like he's not shooting, but I don't know. He doesn't look doesn't look like he believes in a shot the way he did as a rookie. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd like to see him get out of his own head a little bit and, and believe that he can hit shots because I still think he can. So what do we do with him? I, I think patience is key. Because I, I just don't think that rookie season is a fluke yet. I'm, I'm just not inclined to believe that. No, definitely. I I think there's something there when you mention his confidence. Not and not to say that he's not confident in his shot, but it is really clear that he's putting a lot of work during these off seasons, like into his floor game. And so you do kind of see him catch and be like, okay, like this the thing I worked on all season was like one jab go. Like, is it time to one jab go? And, like, by the time you give the jab and the defense, like, steps back, it's like, okay, like, well, now am I shooting? Am I going? Like, am I passing? And so, like, you can see how the the work he's put in during the summer has been good for his floor game, but it's also kind of – it's still making the gears turn in his head. Whereas his rookie year, like, his role was, like, go out there and shoot because we only have, like, two guys in the, in the starting lineup who can shoot. Um, and so I hope that he sp- – uh, just like cuts down on the decision tree a little bit. He he starts to have that instinctual, um, you know, uh, what what my decision is going to be before I catch the ball. Um, but we're also seeing, like you mentioned with Boyan, like three dudes are flying at Boyan because he's shooting 50% from three on the season. If Sadiq continues to shoot 33% from three on the season, guys are going to close out on him, you know, hard, but a little less desperate than they are in a guy who's shooting 50% from three. And so he's going to need to be able to just like pull over those soft closeouts and make those shots in order to get to the parts that he's worked on the floor game, the free throw drawing, et cetera. Um, yeah. I'm, uh, it, it's been interesting to me to think about like what we do with Sadiq when what they clearly want to do is like play two bigs instead of two wings. Um, we, we've seen some during Isaiah minutes, there was talk of like, starting Marvin Bagley before his injury. And if you have Cade, Jaden Ivey, and two bigs on the floor, what you really need from that last starter spot is a dead-eye shooter. And, like, Boyan has been a better shooter so far in his career than Sadiq is. But it feels weird to go, like, okay, we need a lob threat, so we're going to start Marvin Bagley. So, Sadiq Bay, like, you're coming off the bench. 
right? Like, yeah, you you guys missed the the Ben head shake. He's like, nah, I'm not having that. Not for um, Marvin Bagley. <laughs> I I agree, but it seems like philosophically, two bigs is where they want to be, and that leaves a little bit of like you, you can't play six guys, right? You can only play five. Yeah. Um. I was I was texting about this with uh with Bryce, and he was like, yeah, like I'm not confident enough to say that Sadiq should come off the bench yet. But like if but like if they play two bigs and they feel like they have to play two bigs, like that is the logical person to bring off the bench. And that feels that feels weird for um it makes sense, but it also feels weird for as much uh emphasis we've been we've put on Sadiq for his play like over his first three seasons. It feels weird to like relegate him to a bench uh role so soon. It would be such a strange demotion, too, when you think about philosophically where Dwayne Casey has been in terms of you earn your you earn your place in the rotation through consistent defense and buying mm-hmm. in, et cetera. I mean, has there been a guy who's bought in defensively more than Sadiq Bey? I mean, I don't know. Like, maybe Killian? It, I mean, like, I don't know. It'd be pretty hard. I mean, it's like, has Marvin Bagley bought in exactly. more than Sadiq? That's like, point. Like, if there's point one A, that's point one B, right? Like, you're gonna elevate Bagley to into mo- like, I don't know. That's a hard. That's a tough sell. That's a yeah. really tough sell. Yeah. I mean, clearly they want to play Stu and Duran together in time, right? And they don't. It's like Nerlens Noel's not ready, really ready to play yet, and Bagley's hurt, so like they can't really do it right now. But uh, you, I like, I, I get the theory of it, right? Like Stu has been really good on the interior, um, and we. He did get embarrassed by Tyrese Halliburton a couple times on the switches, but uh, but he is a solid switch defender. And then you have uh, Jalen Duran kind of hanging back, protecting the rim, um, rebounding everything in sight. We're going to talk about Jalen Duran now. Um, <laughs> Jalen Duran rebounds the ball real well, dunks real good. Um, but also, he finally did the thing against the Knicks where he had like three fouls in like 30 seconds. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like that. that's going to happen, but... Ben, we we were really high on Jalen Duran like coming into the season. Um, we've seen nothing so far to dissuade us from that. Uh, what? When do when do we start expanding Jalen Duran's role? Right, like when do we get Jalen Duran into the starting lineup? Like when when do we? Because that's clearly where they're headed. But yeah. like, how how long is it going to take? As soon as he figures out team defense, right? Like, right. I don't know. It dep- It probably depends on. Which which feed which broadcasters you had for the the New York game? Because I had the New York broadcasters, and it was hilarious. I mean, they were singing Jalen Duran's praises when it was the Pistons on offense, but they were just straight up uh, making fun of him on defense, and it it was actually pretty funny. Um, but yeah, I mean, he he was just completely lost defensively in the New York game, um, and it it just led to to so many. Well, the three fouls was pretty funny but then when he did get extended minutes he was guarding no one right i mean there were opportunities where he was just he was guarding nobody and it led to very easy buckets for new york so yeah i mean i i I, during game one on twitter i mean if if jalen duran started if he got starters minutes he he's capable of averaging a double double right now right i mean i think going into game three he was averaging a double double if he got starters minutes and stayed out of foul trouble he would average a double double um I also think, however, that it would 
that double double would mask the fact that the team defense would be pretty abysmal. I mean, he would get some pretty spectacular blocks like he's already had. He'd swat stuff off the backboard. Um, he, he'd probably get some interesting steals in the passing lane that would lead to fast breaks. Uh, but it, it would be all about the team defense. Would he be capable of um, making the right rotation so that the help defense isn't completely broken down? Is he capable of making the right reads in the pick and roll, et cetera? So that's where it's at for Jalen Duran right now. Uh, I love watching him play. Um, you never know what exciting thing is going to happen. Put back dunks, alley-oop dunks, blocks off the back. I mean, he's just a pure piston big man. I, I am ecstatic that he's on the team. Love watching him. Um, it's just, it's simply a matter of learning how to defend at the NBA level in the team context. When he figures that out, man, sky's the limit. Yeah. I remain hopeful that they'll simplify the defense when he's on the floor to help facilitate that you can see definitely sometimes in the New York game in particular is like, okay, we're doing it was like, okay, some, the action's happening on the perimeter, but we're running, we're running like stack or some Spain pick and roll stuff or running some like off green stuff. And it's like Jalen Duran has to navigate that because they're switching everything. And so he has to know when to switch and who to switch on and what are the rules behind that. And then the ball's coming at him. And he's like, oh crap. Like it's time to do rim protector stuff. It's like, oh nope, you, you like your your man's gone. Yeah. Like goodbye. Yeah. Um so I do hope they just have him focus on the rim protector stuff. They start we saw a little bit of this against Memphis, and I thought we saw we saw more of it against the Knicks than in the other two games where they would switch one through four and just kind of let Stewart and Duran kind of hang back. I do think that is the best way for them to run their defense moving forward. But I understand that um it it keeps uh, it it puts a lot of burden on the other perimeter defenders to work a lot harder on on defense, but I think that's a worthy sacrifice to help uh, Jalen Duran like be the best defender he can be because exactly. clearly like if sorry go ahead Ben I was gonna say because he gives you so much yeah. I mean it's a worthy sacrifice like you're you make your perimeter guys work a little bit because he just gives you so much raw productivity yeah and and the Pacers killed them on the offensive glass. Because they started switching one through five, and Jalen Jalen Dern is like attacking closeouts and uh, like trying to, I don't know what he's like. He's doing the the double hand jump on on closeouts. Um, it's like okay, that's a little weird, but we'll go with it. <laughs> but then like Gogo Batadze is like underneath the rim, uh, getting like seven offensive rebounds yeah. or whatever. And it's like yeah, this you, you can't live like this. The the rebounding has been an issue through all three games, and Jalen Dern is such an excellent rebounder that you don't want to have him standing away from the the paint uh when you're trying to protect the glass yeah let, let's talk about the defense actually ben the defense has not been good through three games there have been they, they've stuck with the switching scheme there's been i guess I, I should ask you do you think the switching scheme has been more um like more miscommunications between guys on like when to switch or like what actions we're switching or like who's got who or do you think it's more like guys are just getting blown past in isolation, like once the switch occurs? That's such a good question, Les. I mean, the Indiana game is fresh in my mind. Fair. Um, and I'm thinking particularly about the fourth quarter, third and fourth quarter, where Ben Math and Halliburton just like went nuts on threes. And like, 
I don't even know if that was due to switching. I mean, those guys, they, they just went nuts. They just made three after three after three after three. The New York game, I feel like some of it was guys just getting blown by. Some of it was for sure just getting blown by. But I'm thinking of a couple possessions <clears throat> in the Indiana game in the second half in particular where I felt like, um, and it's hard to, to talk about this without visuals, but I feel like some of the switches by default end up putting guys in really bad angles where where if you were working harder to just stay in front of your man as opposed to thinking about the switch, you'd be working harder to put yourself in a better angle to cut off the guy's direct path to the basket, if that makes sense. So I guess it's a long way of answering a question. I feel like there are certain instances where Guys are switching because that's what they're supposed to do. They feel like that's what they're supposed to do, so they do it. But by default, it's putting them in a really awkward defensive position that they would not you – would, you would never put yourself in that sort of defensive position if you were just playing normal straight-up man-to-man defense. And as a result, you're just – you're doing – you're fighting against what your normal instincts would be and guys are just getting to the basket super easily as a result. And, and again, it's hard to do this without like some screenshots or some videos, but that's my take on what's happening. And I think like um, probably the New York game is an example of this. It's just leading to breakdown after breakdown after breakdown of guys getting to the paint where there's just no reason for them to have gotten into the paint in the first place. And depending on the team you're playing, that's either going to lead to easy looks at the rim or it's going to lead to, to kick out wide open threes. And I think against New York, it was probably both mm-hmm. depending on which perimeter player. Cause the Knicks have got guys who can do either one of those things. Right. Yeah. And uh, the Knicks made a lot of threes um, as a result of dribble penetration. The defense has to collapse and kick out for a wide open look. And uh, to me, it's just obvious. Like, I feel like any, I don't mean to say this condescending as it's going to sound, but I feel like any high school level coaching staff would look at this tape and think, this is not working. We are giving up wide open three after wide open three after wide open three. This is, we got, we can't do this. We just can't do this. And, uh, it, it just seems patently obvious to me that they got it. They have to change the scheme. Um, yeah. It's just, it's just clear to me. It does. It's not working the way. Whatever outcome they're trying to get, it can't be this, right? It can't be this, in my opinion. I agree. I think when and when you were talking about uh, the angles that ball handlers are getting because of of the switching, I'm thinking about the possessions in which, like, there was one possession in the Knicks game where in like in anticipation of the switch like they start to kind of back off and then you'll have like an rj barrett like reject this reject the screen that's coming that would like start the switch and then because he rejects it it's like well the guy's already leaning that way it's like well now he's just got like a clear path to the that's exactly it that's exactly what i'm thinking of yeah and it's like they it, it is it's like you have to defend harder up to the point at which you switch. You can't just like lazy switch. I feel like there have been a lot of lazy switches. Um, you also the other the other thing that like I philosophically do not like about switching is that it 
playing this way on purpose just like pulls your worst defenders into the action, which is like not the point of having your worst like anything that pulls your worst defenders like into the thing that like makes them bad is like not where I want to be. But when you have like Tyrese Halliburton like calling up uh Jaden Ivy's guy so that he can get the switch on Ivy or have him calling up like Stu so he can like so he can get around because he knows he can get around Stu. And once he does, like he knows he has free reign to do whatever he wants. Um, or he's just gonna step back three on him like twice in a row in the fourth quarter. And so like once once you once you as an offense know that your action will cause a defensive reaction and you can plan around that, I don't feel like that's I feel like defense should be dictating offense, not not the other way around. If if as a defense, if you're if you're reacting, you're like already kind of losing. Um and so I do think they need to be as like if they are going to stick with this scheme, which I agree with you, Ben. I would like I would not do this. I would play more drop, but like that's that's just me. Um, but if they are going to stick with the scheme, they're going to have to be more aggressive with the switching and not just switch unnecessarily. Um, feel like like if you're just bringing up Jaden Ivey's guy with like 17 seconds on the shot clock, just so like you can like dribble at Jaden Ivey. It was like fight around that. It was like, right. Like don't, don't give them the switch they want. Like, you know, hedge and recover and get back to your guy. But yeah, I'm not, uh, the defense has been bad. And the other thing is that, um, when they switch one through five, again, we talked about this a little bit with Jalen Duren, but like when they switch one through five, they are pulling their bigs out to the perimeter and the rest of the team, like Sadiq, God bless him, like Kadit competes on the glass, but like the rest of the team is like not big enough to secure the rebound and end the defensive possession, right? Like that's something that you said in the past, Ben. It's yeah, just like yeah. you got to you, you the defensive. You're as a defense, your job isn't done until like you secure the rebound. And like we saw in the Indiana game, they they were able to get back in that game, get into a rhythm on offense because they were able to get three possessions in a row on on a uh, on like a single trip down the court because they got so many offensive rebounds so you you absolutely just like can't you can't have that um it's just it's been it's been not good through through three games and i'll be very curious to see because this is not a high this is not a high school level coaching staff right no, exactly staff. exactly so these are smart men adjustments they make they are smarter than me <laughs> they <laughs> There's clearly a, there's clearly a rationale and an outcome they're hoping for that that is not happening, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's the thing. These are not stupid people. These are very smart, highly intelligent people. The the outcome they're they're striving for is not happening. And it didn't happen all preseason. It they didn't get it consistently a season ago. They're not getting it through three games. So yeah. I think that's the thing that's like more bothersome is that like I, it could be more excusable. It's like, oh, Jaden Ivey's played three NBA games. Like, of course he doesn't have NBA defense down. Like, oh, Jalen Duran's played three NBA games. Like, of course he doesn't have defense, NBA defense down. But they did this all last year. Like, right. Cade was here all last year. Sadiq was here all last year. Boyan's been in the NBA for like 12 years at this point. Like, they, so this is, this is, yeah, this should be scheme stuff. Yeah. Um, let's actually, let's stop talking about the starters. Let's talk about the other bad thing. The <laughs> The bench has been awful. Yeah, oh my strong. gosh! Yep. Um, I think the the worst part about the bench to me is getting relieved because Kevin Knox is no longer in the rotation. Isaiah Livers is back. Yep. That was uh that was big. Knox was 
rough stuff. Shooting a lot and missing a lot. It's like those two things don't go together very well. Um, the other thing is Killian. Killian Hayes has not been as effective as he was in the preseason running the bench uh, offense. He made he made like one three last night, um, but yeah, he just like hasn't been as able to. Excuse me, he hasn't been able to dictate terms of uh, of the bench lineup the way you would have liked. Um, they they do have a built in excuse, right? Up until last night, Isaiah Livers wasn't playing. That's a big part of their bench lineups. Uh, Alec Burks and Marvin Bagley like still injured. Marvin's going to be injured for a while. They were going to rely on those guys to come in and provide a lot of offense for those bench lineups. Um, and you do it's like when you have a bench lineup of like Kevin Knox and Hamadou Diallo, like you don't have any shooting, and that's kind of compressing things. But with that said, like the Ben, the bench can't the bench can't play this bad uh, offensively, and you expect to be able to stay in games from a, from an offensive standpoint. Yeah, um, excluding Rodney Magruder, who's played five minutes this season, Kevin Knox, per 100 possessions, leads the team in field goal attempts, which is absolutely ridiculous, and uh, is shooting 14% from the field. <laughs> so mm-hmm. Your bench unit's going to struggle when you know you've got the the worst shooter on the team taking <laughs> more the shots than shots. anybody else on the team <laughs> so your bench 39 offensive rating of 39 one of the Is lowest bad? i've ever seen out, out of out of 40 <laughs> <Right>, exactly. <laughs> exactly your bench unit's going to struggle so kevin knox yeah i mean unfortunately things not not working out um you know you mentioned killian if this is the make or break season for killian he's not started it on the right trajectory hopefully things turn around um you know kojo doing kojo things you know he manages to make shots which helps bails the bench out of being completely unplayable um but isaiah livers coming back that's got to help some right i mean he does he he continues to be isaiah livers which is helpful um hopefully he had some shooting the ball's got to go in the basket somehow. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Jalen Duran's been the, the only fun thing to watch about that second unit. It's been it's been ugly. And when the second unit has been out there, I mean, Indiana made its run against mm-hmm. the second unit. And, uh, I mean, there's never really recovered. Pistons never were really able to recover. The first starters were never able to really close the gap against the two main runs that happened against against the second unit. and. In both of those big stretches so not much redemptive to say unfortunately yeah it is very noticeable to me that the game in which the bench collectively played the best is the game that they've won yeah right true yep that's kojo exactly right. kojo had like 11 against orlando jalen Duran had the double double mm-hmm. um yeah like that that's basically all they needed to be able to seal a game is like a little bit of something mm-hmm. um, from those bench lineups. Yes, Isaiah Livers should help, but Isaiah Livers is not like the Boyan of the bench where he's going to be putting up like six, seven, eight threes a game. Um, they they need him to space the floor, but like he is not that he hasn't he hasn't shown himself to be like that level of like volume shooter. Correct. So he'll help from a like. He'll help from a scheme standpoint. Like defenses will have to play Isaiah, Isaiah Livers differently than they played Kevin Knox, but um, 
honestly, they should just tell Isaiah Livers to shoot as much as Kevin Knox is. Apparently, just take <laughs> just take those open shots. Lead the team and shoot it, uh, shot attempts. Per... Well, I mean, like if 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 Livers is going to shoot like you know high thirties, low forties from three, I would take it. Might as honestly, well. might as well. Um, Killian Killian's done the super annoying thing where you look down at the end of the game, and I think he has. He has like eleven turnovers and two, or he has like eleven assists and two turnovers through three games, and so you like you look at the stat sheet and you're like, man, he had he had you know five rebounds, five assists, like all like four blocks and steals, but like he shot like one for nine, and you're just like, I, is I don't know what to do with this, right? Um, it did seem noticeable in the Indiana game that he was playing more of an off ball role. Um, they were le- they were letting Kojo bring the ball up the floor a lot more. Killian is standing in the corner. Um, he made a three that way. So like again, if they believe that the shooting tweaks of he that he's made will work out, um, then like that's that's a reason to to operate like that. But um, he still does he still does good enough things from a playmaking per- uh, perspective. He just needs to put the ball in the hoop more, which is what we've been saying about him for his entire NBA career. Um, you're right in that, like, this is, if this is a make or break season for him, this is not the way I'm sure he would have wanted it, uh, to start, but the team still has, team still has, you know, 45 games before trade deadline, figure out what to do with this guy. Um, yeah. And then last but not least from the stuff that like has not gone as well, and it's taken us 36 minutes to get here, but we should probably talk about this uh, a little bit more is Cade. Mm-hmm. Cade Cunningham has been fine not this has not been the second year leap we were hoping for from Cade right mm-hmm. uh, he's been productive he's averaging 18 points four rebounds and seven assists um that's kind of in line like what what, what his numbers were last year but he's shooting less than 40 percent from the floor he needed that big stretch in the fourth quarter against Indiana to get to 35 percent from three before that he had been shooting like sub 30 percent from three um, still not getting to the line as much as we would like. Um, and he is still not showing the level of aggression consistently throughout the entirety of the game that we were we were talking about in preseason, Ben. Um, he talked – sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I mean, I agree that the um, the outputs, right, the raw stats are about, about where they were a season ago, which is interesting. Um, the shooting is right about in line. The three-point percentage is a little bit up. Two point percentage is a little bit down. True shooting percentage is still, you know, right around fifty percent, which is objectively not not good. I was hoping to see a spike, but again, three games could be a little bit of a slump. The thing that is so interesting to me, Laz, is he's still like the fourth quarter superhero kind of guy. Like, interestingly, like right behind Kevin Knox and field goal attempts per hundred possessions is Cade, which surprised me. Like, I did not expect to see that. Yeah. But I think it's like he it's like he waits till the fourth quarter, which is just really interesting. He seems to just defer, 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 and then just kind of come along strong in the fourth quarter, uh, which is it's, it just seems to be how he approaches the game so much. And uh, he he's just still that way. He's still kind of doing that thing to me. Um, and it feels like um, like Indiana in particular, it just feels like it was too late. Like, I wanted him to just assert a little bit more um, a little earlier. And, uh, you know, he didn't. Um, you know, he, he was able to do that against Orlando, I think. He was able to assert a little bit 
and it was enough to get past a team like Orlando. Um, you know, Indiana had enough counter punches and, and Ben Math and uh, Halliburton to, I, th- I think, hold that off from Cade as he started cooking late. So I'd like to see him maybe take some punches earlier still. What what I saw against Indiana, at least, was that he, he tried to be aggressive a little bit earlier, but the the rim protection from Indiana or the length and oh athleticism gosh. gave him a lot of yeah, trouble. That's right? He got, You're right. He got blocked multiple right. times in the paint and that kind of dissuaded him from, uh, from moving forward. So it's like, yes, it was good to see him hit the threes. And I do think he, he did a much better job in the fourth quarter getting to like his spots in like the like eight to 15 foot range, like not quite the rim, but like not quite the, the wing where he's like, He's able to hit like his turnarounds, or like he's able to hit those those pull up mid rangers uh, alpha of like a couple uh, like hesitation dribbles that he likes to be able to hit. Um, so it's like I I he he will find a way to get it going, I think. Um, but it's going to be tough to be as efficient and draw as many fouls as we would like him to draw and be as efficient as we would like him to be if he's going to consistently be asked to finish like over and around like super athletic shot blockers um part of that i think we can kind of lay at the feet of isaiah stewart in particular Cade has hit Cade and Jaden have hit isaiah stewart with like some really nice passes and is just stewart takes long uh, takes a long time to load up or he'll do like the power dribble and try and go up from there or he'll do uh his his uh backspin into like the hook shot all of his moves give the defense time to recover in a scenario in which like everything's very compact and like you don't want to give the defense time to recover um it's like with again like with more of a lob threat in the lineups with Caden and Jaden Ivey you would see defenses like have to pay more attention to that guy opening up things for for Caden and Jaden Ivey um but with that said like Cade like shot like four of eight from three, I think against Indiana, but like needed that to get to 35% because he had shot so poorly from three in the first two mm-hmm. games. Yeah. It always seems like his first shot is a three and it's like, you should just go to the rim more, my guy. Um, yeah, it's, it's been, and like, like you, like you mentioned when, uh, when I looked at the numbers, I was surprised to see the averaging seven assists. Like I, I felt like Jade Nivey had been, more productive as a distributor than Cade had over the first three games, but Cade is obviously averaging um, more assists. But a lot of those have just been like flow of the offense stuff, right? Or off-ball stuff for Boyan, who's been on fire. And so I'll be curious to see if they can get a little bit more production from that big man spot. I I hope that offsets some of the offensive slowdown they're going to get when Boyan is like no longer shooting 50% from three, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it'll be fascinating to see. Um, one thing is, it, it, well, let's put it this way: it'll be really fascinating to see if they if they don't play um, Duran and Stewart a lot together. It'll be interesting to see how Cade performs with Stewart versus with Duran. Um, you know, the, the point you're getting at, Laz, is will it be easier for Cade to to score efficiently in the in and around the paint? with the lob threat there versus Stewart. Cause I, I think you're right. I mean, Stu does take a long time to load up and he's not a lob threat. Although he did have a couple lobs though, not from Cade, um, but he's not a lob threat. He's just not a mm-hmm. vertical guy. That's not who he is. Um, 
a few people looked at that last year, but there was just such a small chunk of time where Bagley was around. And there were some encouraging numbers where Cade's two-point efficiency went up when he was playing with Bagley. But there was, again, it was just such a small chunk of time. And so I think this will be really interesting to revisit. Does Cade, in particular, because I, I think you're right, big men can really focus in on Cade from the help side when he's out there with Isaiah Stewart. That's just the reality of the situation. So does he get more efficient in the paint when he's playing with a guy who's more of a lob threat or a vertical threat next to him at the center position? Yeah. So we talked about the bench. We talked about the bench scoring in particular. We talked about just like the defense scheme and personnel and scheme and scheme and scheme. And then we talked about Cade. Which of those three things needs to get fixed first, Ben? Like you got the honey, the honeydew list. It's like the wife writes down like all the stuff that she needs you to do this weekend. It's like, all right, like fix Cade efficiency, fix uh, defensive scheme, fin- fix bench offense. Which Which one goes first on the list? such a good question I think for me it would be I, I don't think there's much you can do about the bench efficiency until you get your guys healthy so I think mm-hmm. Burks I don't know how much Dewell is going to play but I think until you get Burks and Bagley back you're limited I just I don't think there's a lot of efficient scoring until you get Burks back. I think he's going to help. So I'm gonna I'm gonna rule that one out by default just because we're not healthy. Um, Kate efficiency. I mean, he's your most he's taking the most of your, he he's your most prolific shooter, right? And his efficiency is below league average. Um, I would like to see that improve. I think in time that's going to improve. I think we just have to be patient. I remind myself, got to be patient with Kate. Just got to yep. be patient with Kate's efficiency. Yep. It's a multi-year project for him, I think. Learning to score at the NBA level is going to take him some time. Um, but I think aside all of that, I, I just don't think this team's offense um, – well, let me phrase this a different way. I think this team has a better chance of being efficient offensively the more they run. They're already – a faster paced team, depending on if you're looking at basketball reference or NBA.com, they're in the top 10 in pace in the NBA, which is surprising to me already. That's going to make them better offensively by default, just because they can run. And uh, the better they are defensively, the more they will run. So what's interesting is they're top 10 pace and a bottom 10 defense. That's really unusual, right? Because typically you would see, Good defense, high pace, because good defense leads to transition. So anyway, my long way of answering this question is I would really like to see them get better defensively because I think that's going to help correct some of these other issues. Um, And they just shouldn't be as bad defensively as they are. They just shouldn't be. Um, They're not going to be a good defensive team, but they shouldn't be this bad. Mm -hmm. Because as we've talked about, I, I really do think the number of open looks they're giving up is is preventable at least to some some of them are some of them certainly are with some relatively simple corrections so i'm going to say defense is on the top of my honeydew list it's not going to be great but it can certainly be better than it is right now yeah the the thing i will say that i think that they can clean up immediately from a defensive perspective 
is the transition defense. The transition defense has been horrendous through three games. Uh, the Knicks were running up and down the floor every chance they got. Um, they were doing the thing where, like, you would like you, Ivy would get a transition opportunity. He would convert. They would take the ball out of the basket immediately, like throw it down court, and you're ending up in another transition opportunity right back. Like that, that is unacceptable. And I do think that is that is uh, low hanging fruit for them to be able to clean up to get to a slightly better spot uh, defensively. Like if you're going to play fast, if you're going to play at a high pace, uh, you have to be better at responding to teams trying to run it back down your throat. And so far, they haven't been able to do that. So I think that um, it's like, again, they're not going to change the switching scheme. They seem really stuck on it philosophically. Um, but if you're if you're going to improve defensively, the place I would start was with the transition defense because that's just like getting back, getting matched up, like finding your guys and like effort running back in transition to be able to stop them. So we'll start we'll start there. Yeah, and if you're fast enough to be a top ten team in terms of offensive pace, you're fast enough to get going in the get other back. direction like that. Easy. Yeah, yeah. All right, Ben. Last but not least. Uh, not fun story this week. Uh, Detroit Pistons assistant GM Rob Murphy was placed on leave after an alleged workplace misconduct involving a formal female employee. It was reported by uh, ESPN, uh, confirmed by The Athletic, that the, the, um, the probe into the alleged misconduct is ongoing. And uh, when asked about it, Dwayne Casey offered like no comment, basically said, the, the when the probe finishes like we'll we'll know what to do but we're going to let like the the probe happen um obviously this is not the kind of thing you want to have happen this early in the season or any time this is not the thing this is not the type of thing you want to happen at, at any time um and we've seen how um we've seen this happen this season in the nba with the Ime yudoka situation um it's like first of all, like I I feel I feel terrible for the uh for the female employee, the former female employee in question. Um, just like removing the sports element from it, like having a workplace dynamic where like you is like you're offered like a quid pro quo or like you're giving preferential t- treatment or like you feel like that's something you have to do to progress your career. It's just like that's that's not that's that's the type of stuff that like gets you sued from an organizational standpoint. And so I don't, it's like, my heart goes out to her. Um, There's also like, I completely understand like why the Pistons are handling this the way they're handling it. Um, This is not something I would like want to be talking about. This is not something that um, I have like a ton of uh, legal like insight into, but I, I do know that like, this is not, this is not good. And like, this is not the story you want to hear. And it's in, and not interesting, but like Rob Murphy is the guy that they had put out as a more public facing uh, front office employee. Um, you know, he's made an appearance on a couple podcasts. Um, he's a Detroit guy. He has connections like to the Detroit area, coached at Eastern. Like this is a guy that the community is familiar with. And so to have him be uh, involved in something like this is extremely disappointing for somebody that they do. Excuse me, that they pushed as kind of a, a relatively uh, public face of the Pistons front office. Um, what, what were your, what were your, what was your reaction to the news, Ben? Like, this is like a Tuesday night, like news drop thing. So it's just like, ugh, God. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's hard to know what to say without any details or real knowledge. I think just speaking generally, um, 
on the one hand, it's a sign of progress that these sorts of allegations result in action, right? So 20 years ago, these kind of things immediately get swept under the rug and nothing happens. So as horrible it is that these things still happen, at least we live in the day and age where allegations are taken seriously. So I'm happy for that. On the other hand, that these situations continue to happen, um, that we we still continue to live in a society and are fans of a league where female coaches and female referees and female executives are still increased, like still incredibly in the minority when it's very clear there are, are females who are eminently qualified for any number of positions within the league and within organizations, et cetera, and are still subject to this sort of, um, you know, we don't know if it's discrimination or harassment or, or whatever it is here. You know, all of that is still, you know, very clear evidence that we're not in the type of society we want to live in. We're not fans of the type of sports organizations that we want to be fans of yet, right? We're not living in the type of ideal society or equitable world that we might want to yet. I think, you know, the most I would want to say about, you know, this specific situation is yet like one of the things to consider is whenever you've got any sort of workplace um, relationship is there's always going to be power dynamics at play when you've got someone high up in an organization with a, a, a job title like this even in situation where it's air quotes consensual it's not consensual because there's an inherent power imbalance between someone with a big big important job title and someone who doesn't have that big important job title and uh that kind of thing's always wrong it, it's never fully consensual there's always something that's imbalanced about that kind of relationship i hope that the team takes it seriously i hope they don't sweep this away um and I hope that they're as honest with fans as they can be about what happened. And I hope that, you know, they're honest about condemning whatever it is that needs to be condemned. Right. I, I just hope they're, they make clear statements about the morality of the issue and not just legal corporate nonsense. Right. Um, yeah. Basketball is a wonderful sport. There's room in the NBA for, smart talented women and um it, it it's sad that we continue to allow women to be treated this way and uh i hope we stop doing it i hope we stop doing it less that's what i'm gonna say absolutely all right uh with that uh the schedule for this week the pistons play uh in washington on tuesday then they have three straight home games, a home home series with the Atlanta Hawks, and they play the Warriors on Sunday night. That'll be that'll be fun. Uh, ben, do the Pistons win a game this week? Are we, are we staring at one of those Atlanta games as a possibility? It's tough, man. Um, Pistons perimeter defense has been pretty bad, and there's yeah. some pretty good perimeter players in those four games, right? Yeah, that's a good some point. Pretty perimeter oriented uh, offense coming our way. Um, maybe one of the Atlanta games, man. That's I think that's what we're hoping for. Yeah, the Wizards already beat the Pacers, and I think they're two and one right now. Um, 
Uh, don't think the Hawks have lost yet, but they've played like the Magic and some other teams. I was like, I, I can say that because we've beaten the Magic, right? If we had lost the Magic, I'd be like, yeah. oh god. But uh, but yeah, I would like to be able to get one of those Hawks games. Um, it does seem like they they have done a good job of uh, attacking Trey Young, um, making Trey Young play defense in the past. I hope that continues, especially in the home and home. Um, and so, yeah, I would, I would like to be able to get one win this week. They're going to need one win per week to avoid some of the morass that comes with like the the eight game, twelve game, fifteen game losing streaks that can happen over the course of a of an NBA season with such a young team. So let's avoid that. Let's get one of these games this week. Um, maybe the Warriors will be nice and like sit half their team for <laughs> against the Pistons because we're not a threat. Uh, all right, Ben. Uh, let the people know where they can find you, where they can find uh, your thoughts on this team during the game. You're a lot more excitable during games than you than you are on the pod. I like that, uh, that personality, <laughs> that dichotomy. Yeah, my podcast self is. Uh, I've had time to process. My Twitter self is very much <laughs> in the moment, which is why I automatically delete my tweets after X amount of days because. <laughs> The in the moment Ben is raw and unfiltered, and yep. uh, I don't I don't think about things too much before I tweet them. By the time we get to the podcast, I've thought about things, I've processed things, I'm a little more rational. When I'm on Twitter, it's just like if it's as if we were sitting down watching the game together, and I'm just reacting. So at br golker on Twitter, if you want the unfiltered Ben. Yeah, and uh, make sure you take the screen captures. Or <laughs> yeah, if if you want the receipts, you're gonna have to do. That. Yeah, exactly. Uh, of course, you can follow me on Twitter and get my uh, slightly less filtered, but still kind of filtered on reactions. Uh, the reactions are for the DMs and the text messages. You guys aren't getting those. Um, uh, <laughs> you can do that on Twitter at Last Chance. That's at L A Z C H A N C E. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. And we will talk to you all next week. Feels good to be back on the schedule. See you then.